Welcome to the Practical Idealist Podcast, aligning what is good with what is possible. I'm your host, Allison Bueller, Director of the Homestead Education Center, and the focus on this show is real change for better health, home, and community. Guess what? Our little podcast is growing. We hit some kind of ranking and I got an email from iTunes in the categories of education and how-to podcasts. That's really exciting from our little corner of the world. Please help us continue to grow by sharing this episode with someone who needs to hear it. And believe me, every parent is going to need to hear this episode. Little by little, we can make big change. Our theme at the Homestead Education Center this year is Conscious Living which was chosen by our board of directors. We felt very strongly that you cannot change your actions, your choices, or your behaviors until you become aware of them. Becoming intentional takes practice and what better place to practice than in our own families. Which is why we chose Conscious Parenting as our first book club book this fall. Board member Cassie LaPillo led us through this life-changing work that I should have read when my kids were born. Better late than never. I'm implementing what I learned from reading Conscious Parenting every single day. It's been extremely helpful, and now I've got my husband reading it. And we hope to help you do the same after hearing today's discussion. If you'd like to join our online Conscious Living Book Club, just jump over to the website. Sign up for the membership level that's right for you, and we'll add you to our member group. Go to www.thehomesteadcenter.org. That's www.thehomesteadcenter.org. This month, we're reading Balanced and Barefoot, which is all about the physical, mental, and emotional benefits of getting kids outside. And next month in October, we will read Climate, a new story by Charles Einstein. We'd love to have you join the discussion. Tomorrow is a big day for our nonprofit organization. It's Homestead Day. And there are over 20 speakers and demonstrations on everything from holistic childbirth, beekeeping, solar energy for your home, and all kinds of gardening talks. It's a great day to think about what's possible. My husband's over there right now mulching with the tractor so that it looks pretty. And we'd love to see you out there from 10 to 3 tomorrow. And I'd like to give a big shout out to our board member, Andrea Baha'i, who worked so hard to organize this event. Please tell her thank you when you see her tomorrow. The Homestead Education Center is a nonprofit organization located in Starkville, Mississippi. Our members support our online resources and programming, and we'd like to welcome new members Marcel Spanbar and Sanina Walensky, who joined this week. If you'd like to support our programming and content, consider becoming a member. For the price of a Netflix rental episode, you can keep our programming coming. This episode is brought to you by our Keep It Local sponsor, Costume Party. Homecoming and Halloween are just around the corner in our area. Please do not buy some throwaway costume for your kids or yourselves this year. Support a local store like Costume Party, who has quality rentals and vintage clothing. Or let them help you plan your next event and help us keep our money local by supporting a small business. You can find out more about our Keep It Local campaign on our website at www.thehomesteadcenter.org. And now on with our interview. Cassie LaPillo is a mother of a brand new kindergartner and a two-year-old. 
She has two girls and helps lead our Nature Kids Co-op at the homestead. She earns my respect because she's among a new generation of mothers who know exactly how important her job of raising humans is. And she takes that job seriously. Cassie is constantly seeking new information that will better inform her practice as a parent. And she led us through the book as an organization on our member Facebook page. She did a phenomenal job, and I'm so excited for her to share that information with you today. Welcome, Cassie. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here to talk with us today. I want to start just by talking about conscious parenting and what it is and what it's not. I I have to admit that I had my doubts. I thought it was going to be some kind of like feel-good philosophy that let kids do whatever they want. And that does not work at my house with my teenager, two teenagers, and a a preteen. I couldn't have been more off, and I'm so glad that, that I dove in. Can you start by telling us what the author means by conscious parenting? Sure. Um, I felt like conscious parenting can be summed up by saying parenting a moment to moment. So being really present and seeing what is going on for our child and who they are in that moment, and then parenting based off of that instead of, say, a rule that we may have put in place a year ago or some expectation that we have about how things should be playing out. So to me, that that's the core of it. And as you mentioned, uh, it doesn't mean that we're going to be letting them do whatever they want. Uh, but it does mean just taking everything in that moment into consideration and also being willing to listen to what they have to say. Um, another thing that I feel like is, is really part of conscious parenting is the idea that our kids are just as much our teachers as we are theirs. And this is definitely a big shift from the traditional way of parenting where the parent is always in power and um, our kids usually aren't seen as having much to offer us in the way of lessons. So I feel like after parenting, it feels to me uh, like it's a much more fluid dynamic. And Dr. Shafali in the book actually mentions the concept of conscious parenting being a journey to raise ourselves to be awakened and present individuals, which I feel like it just isn't something that you really hear about in some of the more traditional ways that we've parented in the past. No, but that's so important because every parent I know says, I wish somebody gave me a manual and there is no manual. And so we're becoming along with trying to help our kids become. Yeah, I'm one that would love to have a manual, but no such luck. We're all waiting on that one. But this book really made me think about the purpose of parenting. What would you say the role of parents is? I mean, you talked about that that it's we're we're becoming and we're helping our, our children do what? In conscious parenting versus what you thought your role as a parent was before you read the book? For me personally, I guess I always thought of parenting as, you know, loving and supporting my kids and generally teaching them how to be good humans. But I don't think I really had set out with a specific intention about exactly how I wanted to parent and what exactly my role was. I was just kind of carrying out how I was parented and maybe adding a few twists with it. So after reading this book, it's kind of been a big shift, and I'm not quite sure how to explain it. I now see myself as offering them a place to find you know, love and boundaries and structure, and also someone to look up to as an example of one way that they can maybe be in the world. I'm also seeing them as already having a path that they're here to go on, and all I'm doing is offering a container. and helping them to prepare to later be able to take that journey out into the greater world. So I'm more of a guide and it it feels a lot more interactive um, than how I felt before. I feel like 
before reading the book and before being introduced to a lot of these concepts, I just was, you know, had my rules and um, just ticked off all the tasks during the day. And this is making me have to really stop and be hands-on and assessing what's going on. So it's just a whole shift for me. Um, and I feel like has changed my role completely. I agree, Cassie. I mean, ever since we finished the book, just look at it a lot differently. I really thought, I think I was operating a lot out of fear a lot of times of trying to head off disasters for my kids. And truthfully, that's how we learn as humans. We can't learn from other people's mistakes. And so reframing parenting as, like you say, a container, you're here to make a container for what your kids are gonna, going to do and going to, going to go through. And, and that's a lot different than setting out your expectations and by damn, we're going to follow them. I mean, I always saw them as complete, but I feel like now I've seen them more as really complete. Like I'm not having to fill them up with all these things like you're saying, like operating out of fear and trying to avoid disasters. And instead, it's um, letting them kind of figure some things out for themselves and really seeing who they are as people um, and going off of that. Yeah. What really resonated with me with Shafali was talking about how we bring, again, our fears into parenting. So for example, my ninth grader is struggling in geometry. It's a whole new level of commitment and study that we did not experience in middle school. And my fear for him, it, when I was thinking about why is this upsetting me so much? I really don't care about grades. What I care about is him having options in life and him having to be cut off from those options. And I had to step back and think about, I can't teach him that unless he experiences that. And to let go of those fears and say, you know what, he's going to have to own this. I can't own it for him. Can you talk a little bit more about what baggage parents bring in to our interactions with our kids and what Shafali says that we can do about that? Yeah, I, I don't know what baggage we don't bring into our interactions <laughs> yes. with our kids. And it's so much! In this book, it's just like, oh my gosh, I feel like I can't say a sentence without being like, okay, I really need to look at myself after that. Um, so yeah, I constantly am finding myself saying uh, to myself, oh my gosh, I sound just like my mother, just like my father. And that's not always a bad thing, but in some cases it, it may be something that I don't really want to be playing out with my kids. One example would be like if, say, your parents pushed you to play sports and you felt like you only received validation from your parents through excelling at sports. So then when you become a parent, you're probably going to go in one of two ways if you aren't being conscious about it. Either you'll be the opposite of your parents since this really hurt you and you may not offer your children the opportunity to play sports or you may have an aversion to it so if they do play, you may not be able to fully show up for them and support them. Or you may just carry out what your parents did and be very rigid and insist that they play sports and excel at them and just keep pushing them even if it isn't something that they want for themselves. So I feel like that kind of thing and any fears and anxieties that we have, we can end up unintentionally placing on our kids and make our fears and anxieties theirs, either by specifically saying things to them or just from them watching us be anxious or fearful in our own lives. So our hurts and traumas can play out in so many ways in how we raise our kids. Well, I'm finding that I can have a very hard time when my school-aged daughter melts down. So she tends to be really sensitive and introverted, which is how I am. So you think that that would make it easier for me to parent her and that I should be able to understand her 
more than somebody that is maybe more extroverted. Um, but instead, I'm finding that it's so hard. I had a great childhood and wonderful parents, but I know that I managed to pick up the message that being sensitive was not really a good trait and that I overreacted to things, overreacted to things a lot. So I'm finding myself reacting to her how people reacted to me growing up. Even though I know how that made me feel, I still keep finding myself playing out that pattern with her. So it's something that I'm now aware of and understanding more, but I still find it so hard to be able to react how I want to in the moment. Um, so for me, this means that I still have a lot of my own work to do around it. As far as how to change things, uh, like you were saying, for you, it, it required you first to just be able to see your baggage and, and how that was coming into the situation with Max. That's all it might take. You just might be able to notice it and realize what you're doing and just let it go and not let it affect your parenting. I feel like for a lot of things though, it takes doing your own inner work, whatever that means for you personally, to heal and get to a place where you can truly keep out, keep your baggage out of the relationship with your kids. I think you nailed it. We have just talking about the sports, you know, we go back and forth at times our children have wanted to quit things. And my husband will say, I can't believe my mother let me quit swimming. I was a state level champion. How did she let me quit? We're never letting our kids quit. And, you know, we, we'd go back and forth about these things. And do you react in the same way that your parents did? Do you do you choose the opposite? And what about our own fears or our own regrets are playing into that? And if we're not aware of that, we just do it constantly. Yeah. Sure. So let's get specific. Give us the highlights of what we need to know about parenting newborns, according to Shafali. Well, newborns, the one word that I would pick up from the book and would have to say is true, at least for me, is just surrender. So having a newborn, especially if it's your first child, is just a complete shock to the system. We're suddenly thrown into this role of having to learn how to meet someone else's constant needs in a way that we've never had to do before. And Dr. Shafali says that it confronts us with our highest and lowest self, which I know is certainly true for me, and I think it's probably true for a lot of people, um, especially with your first child, just because you, you just don't know what you're in for. She also talks about this period as a time of non-productivity, where we're asked to live in the moment. So we have to just surrender and realize we probably aren't going to be getting a whole lot done. And I'll be honest, I am not sure that I ever completely did that. I would waver back and forth. I was working before I had my first child and uh, intended to go back to work, but realized um, that I wanted to try to stay at home and financially it made sense. I wasn't going to be making a whole lot by the time we did daycare and all of that. Um, so I chose to stay home and I had all these grand visions of all these things I was going to get done and, and that was not the case and it still isn't. So I found myself just constantly fighting where I was at, um, like I said, especially with my first since I just didn't realize what a shift it would be. Another thing that she mentions about newborns that I never really thought of or thought would come into play at this stage is that they're just taking in everything that we do and how we are in the world. So not just, you know, learning how to pick something up or things like that. Dr. Shafali says that the parent's mindset, including fantasies, fears, inhibitions, and courage, are registered in the infant's bodies at a cellular level. So that's really fascinating to me, and it also makes me want to go back and be able to change a lot of things. <laughs> yes! Um, 
because, you know, I never, I thought that was the one thing I didn't have to worry about at that point, you know, I'm thinking, oh, that's something now that my daughter's six, you know, yes, I really need to watch that and worry about it, but never would have thought that at that point in time that that was what I really needed to be looking at, along with just meeting all of her physical needs and that sort of thing. So having an infant is a wonderful time and it can be really incredible, but it can also be extremely hard for a lot of people. So it's kind of a, a mixed bag and we just have to learn to surrender and go with the flow of things. So our babies, they show us how to give to others in a way that we've never had to do before. And it can be really heart opening if we let it and don't just get caught up in all of the muck and mire going on um, in the day-to-day -day things of caring for a baby. Oh man, that was such a hard, adjustment for me too. I was, you know, coming out of a doctoral program where everything was competitive and then I found myself at home. And you know, it didn't matter how smart you were, there was no doing it right. But surrender yeah. was not even in my vocabulary at that time and I I really wish I could like you go back and and understand that that time is fast. It doesn't feel fast at the time, but it it goes so quickly. Yeah, it does. Let's talk about toddlers. What is the most important thing? I know you're dealing with, well, one's coming out of that age right now, but what's the most important thing to know from the book about dealing with this challenging age? Well, Dr. Schifelli states that if we are wise, we learn to live in the unknown, for life with a toddler is a constant invitation to the spontaneous, undefined, and unimagined. And like you said, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old right now, and this is certainly true. The toddler years are a time when our children are learning that they are separate from us, and they're just constantly living at full throttle all the time. So we may be dealing with total joy and excitement one minute and then a huge meltdown over the color of a cup the next minute, which can be so crazy making for us. Um, they're also constantly just pushing boundaries and discovering things at this stage. Um, so we're asked to begin, as she puts it, sowing the seeds of containment. And for me, I see this as basically setting boundaries and allowing and encouraging our kids to express themselves as much as they can while also teaching them what is okay and what is not. So for example, we aren't going to allow them to kick or bite others if they get mad, um, that sort of thing. So we, we're teaching them what's appropriate. So it talks about being really consistent about what we're allowing and not allowing at this stage. Um, while also really recognizing that it's perfectly natural for them to be what we would consider dramatic and that when they act out by you know throwing things or biting or hitting, it's just because they're filled with emotion and they don't have other ways of expressing themselves. They don't know how to. So it's up to us to begin to learn or begin to teach them um, other ways of coping. And one way that she suggests is to help our how to be able to make sense of the world is by combining role-playing and storytelling. Like I said, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old, so we are in the thick of this. Um, I'll admit, I sometimes find it really hard to set limits with her because she'll often do something to be funny right as I'm trying to set a limit. Yeah. And then I can't help but start laughing because she's just really cute, and I can never get a straight face back. So. The whole setting limits thing kind of backfires on me, um, and when my husband's trying to do it, I literally have to leave the room because I'll just ruin the whole interaction I start laughing. <laughs> so I think she's definitely here to teach me how to laugh more. Good. Yeah, I had a, a couple easy toddlers and one that almost did me in. It's uh, oh you know, it's they're identifying with their egos. They're 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 saying, 
I am important and I'm the most important thing in the world. And that's what most of us really believe internally, even as adults, but we learn strategies not to act on that. So right, what does Shafali say about school age kids? Um, okay, so the early school years are when our kids are just beginning to learn about themselves through the lens of their friends and teachers. So they begin to start using people outside of the home to reflect their identity. And this is still a very malleable time in their lives. And Dr. Shafali states that we, we can really use this stage to help shape our children's behavior by encouraging what we want to see in them. And she cautions us to be sure that we don't miss this window. She mentions that a lot of people, you know, they get to middle school years or high school years and then our parents are looking back like, what, what happened? And we just, we miss the window where we can really help to shape them with these sort of things. Um, so at this stage too, our kids can seem very independent, yet at the same time really clingy. And I'm definitely seeing this right now with my six-year-old. She's just starting school, so there's just a lot of changes going on. Time when a lot of us need to realize that our kids are ready to start forging their own path. So we need to see this, and while we can still guide them at this stage a lot, um, we have to be careful not to exert total control over everything to the point where they're merely living out our wishes and desires and aren't beginning to find things that they're drawn to on their own. Um, the middle school years are different in that our kids are probably going to be dealing with all kinds of different situations in their relationships. So things like crushes and social politics and trying to fit in all come into play at this stage, and it makes it a really hard and confusing time. So at this point, Dr. Shafali says that we need to start taking more of a back seat and learning how to be there for our kids and offering support even when we really might not understand what is going on with their emotions and they might be kind of completely rejecting us too, but we just need to learn how to sit there and offer support and be there for them no matter what's going on. There's a passage in the book that I think really paints the picture of how we can parent at this stage, and I'm going to go ahead and read it. No longer can you be the ever-powerful parent, but must instead become an ever-present partner. Your children need you to hold their hand, but without leading the way. They need you to be there when they cry, but cannot explain why they are crying. They need you to respect their privacy, even while they cling to you. They need you to accept them when they reject both themselves and you, and to understand them, even when they make no sense. They need you to swim with them in the treacherous waters of their chaotic emotions, even when they keep throwing their life jacket away. They need you to be calm when you when they take it you to the edge of your sanity, to be quiet and listen even when they beg you to give your opinion, and to simply be there without heed to your own ideas or interpretations. They need you to forgive them for their forgetfulness and distraction, understanding that this is hormonal. They need you to cut them some slack and let them defy you a little, knowing that this is part of healthy development. They need you to let go of them as your babies and tell them you are ready to walk in your own shoes no matter how scary. I love that. And that is, it flies in the face of what we do when our kids hit more independent stages like middle school. You know, we, we try to clamp down, we try to straighten them up, we try to instill more rules and regulations so that we can deal with the chaos. And it's, she tells us to step back and, and do the opposite. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine posted yesterday, and it just shocked me that her daughter forgot her, I think it was her math book. And 
two weeks ago, my, my child, my middle schooler forgot his notebook. And I said, well, I'm sorry, bud, you're just going to have to deal with that and deal with the consequences. And I thought I was teaching him responsibility or a con, you know, a natural consequence for his forgetfulness. And she posted. So I went back and I got the math book. And then I noticed some notes that she left on her desk. And I thought she might need them too. And then I decided she was probably having a rough day. So I threw in some snacks and I dropped it all off at school with a note that said, have a great day. And I thought, my goodness, what does that teach a kid versus what I said to mine? Sorry, bud, you're on your own. Really hard. I struggle with that almost every day. So. Yeah, we all do. We all do. But I, you know, it just it made me step back. And that's what's so great about this. Maybe there are times that we need to let our kids have natural consequences. But what is the reason behind our behavior as parents? So let's go back to helping us understand what Shafali says about teens. Um, she basically says that the teen years are all about us trusting them, even when it may look like we have no reason to, and just accepting them for who they are and where they're at. So if we try to increase our control, they are most likely going to push against us in, in an opposite way that we do not want. And basically, once they reach the later teenage years, uh, if they really want to do something, there's nothing that we're going to say or do that's going to keep them from doing it. So instead of trying to clamp down and you know put all these rules into place, we need to basically let them do their thing and just trust and accept them. Uh, she asks us to give them their privacy and to basically just be there for them without trying to direct them. Uh, they need to know that they can go out into the world and then come home to you and that that's a safe place where they can be accepted no matter what's going on in the external world. Uh, I also took away that the high school years are basically where we get to see the effects of how we parented them. And honestly, that sounds a bit scary to me. Um, <laughs> she, she cautions that we may feel like we wake up one day and there's this child in front of us and we don't know them anymore. But she reminds us that whatever is going on, it, it didn't happen overnight. So, it, yes, you're going to encounter the typical teenage things, but the overall relationship, that's something that you've been building since day one. So it reminds us to really um, try to take care of things in, in the younger years and really build our relationship with our kids. She brings up the examples of, you know, if we're too strict, our kids may at this point try to break free. And if they are too permissive and they didn't learn containment, they may just run wild. And if we didn't connect with them when they were younger and were seeking it out, then now they're going to just push us away because they, they really can at this point and refuse to connect. Uh, but, you know, this all sounds dark and <laughs> not so wonderful. But she, she really gives us hope in saying that if you are at that point with your kids, it, it, while it is easier to repair relationships when they're younger, it still can be done at this point as long as you're willing to really put in the effort and there's a, an opening there with your child that you can get in there and really um, try to repair some things. Yeah, I, that's what made me, this chapter was the one that made me think, my gosh, why didn't I read this book when my kids were younger? Yeah. She, she's basically saying you had money in the bank or, or you don't time their teens. And so to expect that you can all of a sudden take a person who's trying to form their own identity and control them is, is not a very wise use of time or energy. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I did like the repair part because it, she, doesn't, she doesn't leave you with the fact that it's ever too late 
but it's she does very much say it's up to you to do the work your teen is mm-hmm. not going to do it they don't have the skills to do that and their brains are still forming until they're 25 so who they are as a teen may or may not represent who they are as an adult that chapter was a little bit hard for me to read and made me want to really get to work now <laughs> i agree I remember writing in our member group after only reading a couple chapters of how I used what I read in a situation with my daughter. Cecilia, she's a fifth grader, and she is very much a planner. She's very different than than I am. And she had her backpack picked out probably in July. She looked on Amazon and scanned all the backpacks, and she demanded that she needed to have this particular kind because it had a lunchbox that would fit. And I ordered that for her and the first week of school she lost it fell on the floor crying because she hated her backpack and needed a bigger one and my initial thought if I had not been reading this book I would have said honey you picked that thing we paid for it it is yours for the year and I thought about it okay here's a child who is very organized who takes school very seriously and her stuff is not fitting into her bag the way that she thinks it needs to that would be frustrating I don't understand that that's not how my mind works at all But because I was reading this book, I was able to step back and stop and say, okay, for a fifth grader who's like that, that is upsetting. And so instead of, you know, getting angry, I said, you know what, let's deal with this after school. And after school, we came to a compromise and said she would pay for half of a new backpack. Can you give us some examples of how you've used what you've read at home? Yeah, um, one just general example is that, you know, I have young kids, so there's a lot of crying and tantrums and that sort of thing that go on in my house and I know that usually I tend to either just check out like I just I can't deal with it or I deal with it but in a reactive way that I is not really how I want to respond so I've found that now I'm able to sometimes just be able to stop and take a couple breaths and look at the situation and a lot of times I see that what they really need is just for me to go hold them for a couple minutes so they can begin to regulate their emotions more and then we can all move on. And for whatever reason, that's something that's actually really hard for me to do. I don't know why, um, but I'm finding now that I, I'm able to sometimes be able to do that instead of the other things that I usually do. So I've been using it in that general way. Um, and then one specific example is that my daughter, you know, just started kindergarten, and the school has some clothing requirements that are essentially um, kind of like a uniform. And she hasn't complained about that at all, um, but she is very particular about her clothes. So I told her uh, it was just the past week or two that we were going to have to make a stop after school after I picked her up, and she insisted that she was allowed to bring other clothes to change into in the car after school before we went to the (laughs) store. And I'm just wanting to be like, no, we're going to the store for five minutes. Just leave your clothes on. We're not going to stop. And in my head, I'm thinking, gosh, that's going to, you know, she's going to take 10 minutes to change her clothes. Right. Your girl is going to be in her car seat screaming that she wants out of her car seat. And then if I let her out, I have to go like catch her in the van so I'm just not wanting to deal with this and I usually would just be like no like you're gonna have to deal with it you're gonna have to learn how to cope with you know wearing your school clothes into the store um but this is important to her and it's not hurting anything and I just need to let let her do it Mm -hmm. um it's part of her and it's not hurting me 
So I, I did, I just let her take her clothes and I feel like trying to find the balance of, like you were saying with your kids, like where do they need to just suck it up and learn how to deal and when, um, when do you let them maybe express themselves or do some things that you normally wouldn't allow things, but I feel like all these little things add up. They and do. It is the daily yeah. little battles that add up. And I mean, it's definitely still like, I don't know if that's the right decision. If I do that all the time, is that <laughs> too, like, I, I don't know what the right answer is, but I feel like it was a change and it was a change that I felt like was in a better direction for us. So um, just little things like that uh, I've been doing and seeing and it, it definitely has made a difference just in the even the overall feeling of the energy in the house and with us it feels better to me it really feels better when i operate this way mm -hmm. for sure is there anything else you want to leave us with yeah there are well there were a bunch of things that i could have mentioned but i, I just picked a couple um one takeaway that i found that was so important is that she talks a lot in the book about doing our own inner work and really taking care of ourselves and our own spirits. And she brings up the example of joy and how if we're unable to access our own joy, then we won't be able to mirror it back to, we won't be able to be a mirror to our children's joy. Um, she also talks about how closely our kids watch us and they pick up on our patterns and our way of moving through the world. So if we, we're shut down and we feel helpless or we're afraid to take chances, this will affect our children, even if we somehow manage to be completely conscious in our actual interactions with them. They still are going to see how we're being when we're not with them. That's a really important thing. I feel like sometimes parents get the message that we have to give everything to our kids and we aren't allowed to live our own lives and that it's wrong um, for us to take time away from them to either better ourselves or pursue things that bring us joy or to help us feel rejuvenated. So. It was really nice to hear that the opposite is true and that we really need to fully embody ourselves and be sure to keep refilling our cups, um, not only so that we have something to give to our kids, but I feel like almost more importantly, so that they see someone doing this in their lives and they'll know how to do it and that it's okay to do this when they're older. So that was one really big takeaway. And I've you know heard other people talking about that, but then seeing it here as well was just like confirmation. Um, another big thing that I want to leave everybody with is to know that parenting consciously isn't something that you can, you know, learn all the rules of it and then just go do it. it it's something that you'll work on every day and you won't always succeed. You'll just start noticing shifts in yourself and shifts in the relationship with your kids and you'll just keep building on that. So nobody's conscious all the time and it <laughs> takes effort. <laughs> and practice and we're all just taking it you know one moment at a time so don't be hard on yourself and know that it'll just be a constantly evolving journey yes but it is a great journey and i'm so thankful to you for leading this discussion because it's really impacted my family at an important time the other morning we were in the kitchen and i said can't you guys just for once do something that i ask you to do when i ask you to do it and one of mine looked at me and said well, mom, you wanted us to be independent thinkers, didn't you? And I thought, yeah, I did, I did. And that is a really tough kind of person to live with. But it's thinking about what kind of person are we trying to raise and stepping back. And it's not a person who follows orders at every single step. 
Why are we giving those orders? And what are we teaching with our interactions with our kids? So I thank you so much for joining us and for leading us in such a great discussion. Thanks for having me. If anybody wants to join our current discussion called, uh, the book is called Barefoot and Balanced. Just choose the membership level that's right for you on the website and we'll add you to the group. So I hope you have a great week, Cassie, and thanks so much.